conversation series where V and I sit down and have the type of conversations you would have on a red-eye flight late at night when the world is asleep. All sorts of thoughts can pop into your mind and we keep things thoughtful and entertaining as we discuss these ideas. Today we are starting up right after All-Star Weekend. It was a really, really big weekend for the NBA. Um, I think like an interesting weekend in general because Utah has always been like like very well reputed as a very racist place to play. Like NBA <laughs> players do not like playing there. So it was like the redemption tour for, for Utah as well. Yeah. It was interesting of all places. They'd have the all-star game in Salt Lake city. And there were, there were tweets, Charles Barkley, most, most famously just, you know, telling it like it is like, there's absolutely nothing for us to do here. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, was an interesting weekend, but sometimes when you have games or events in this weekend, um, in places like Salt Lake, and you're able to really control the entire environment. It is the only thing happening in Salt Lake City, right? So it, it created an opportunity for the NBA to promote its brand, put it out there front and center uh, in a market that, that traditionally doesn't get this. So I think um, it's interesting. It seemed like all the players uh, were engaged. It created a lot more engagement in the actual like NBA related events, I'm sure, because as you saw in participation in the events, like all the players were pretty much at everything because there's nothing else to do. Uh, and <laughs> obviously, there's still the brand parties and everything that normally goes on. All the stars were there, but um, definitely, definitely a, a captivating all star game, starting with uh, the true white men can jump story with uh, mac mcclung yes uh, anybody who's familiar with like you know basketball and social media is pretty familiar with mac mcclung he's been famous for his his dunking ability since he was in a uh, high school uh i didn't even know he was on an nba roster but <laughs> clearly he was but he was is, the star can you can you do that if you're g league or you have to be in the nba I think you have to be in the NBA. I don't know what the. the I, I also thought he was in the G League. I didn't think he was. He was in the NBA either. Yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't know that. But he was like he was the standout star of the weekend. Like to bring back the dunk contest has been stale for the last few years. Um, but every once in a while, a guy comes along. This is like a Vince Carter type of dunk contest. Like the shit this guy was doing a seven twenty dunk. Like jumping over someone tapping the backboard doing a reverse like the shit was just mind-blowingly difficult just from an execution standpoint as well as just like wow a wow factor standpoint right it had all the elements and the kid's not he's like six three six four so it always stands out more when somebody that height can do the dunks but he literally took over the contest. They, they saw a post made like his career earnings in the NBA has been a hundred thousand. He made one hundred and fifty k for winning the dunk contest. But you know, it's it, it was that was like the highlight for me. I didn't get to watch it live, but immediately after I was seeing everything on Bleacher Report, yeah, um, on on the highlights, it was 
it was a, a pretty crazy. I think Dave Muller had won the three point contest, but the Mac McClung thing was something I wanted to to talk about for a moment because we've had these moments like the tra- there are so many like super freaky athletes and really talented like amazing basketball players that just can't cut it as an actual NBA player. There's a difference between being a baller and being an NBA player, right? And I think when you see these things like this kid you're like why isn't he playing more? It's like he's really good at a skill set that doesn't really translate into any of any importance in the nba except for on wide open fast breaks right <laughs> so um but more power to him i think he he has an opportunity um to make money with this kind of talent for the rest of his career regardless of where his nba career takes goes but you know hopefully hopefully he ends up making a team and playing with being a contributor i know that's his ultimate goal yeah, I think I think it's so awesome. Um, but I think it also draws the question: what, like, what the heck happened in the last you know fifteen years that nobody wants to participate in the dunk contest anymore? You know what I mean? Like, no Giannis, no like, you know, no LeBron ever. You know what I'm saying? Like, none of the no John Morant, like none of the players you'd really want to see from like a fan perspective ever participate in the dunk contest. It hasn't been that way since like 2008. And I'm just like not sure when the culture shifted like that. When did when did that not become the thing? And there's there's a few factors. Obviously, the injury risk, the the value of the money that comes from the dunk contest. Probably like this is what happens when it's the same thing that's driving like this, like you know, load management stuff in the NBA. It's like you know, and I really appreciate what Anthony Edwards said was like, just play the game, right? Yeah. Like there are some people who are paying that they're taking their family to their game or their kids to that game to see specific player. And that might be the one time they get to do that in their lifetime. You sitting out for load management when you're healthy doesn't make sense. And I think that same kind of logic translates to the dunk contest. Yeah. There's some injury risk, but how severe is it? I know these guys have dunk contests after practice all the time. Um, It is a commitment. It is, it is, physically grueling too i understand the, all of those elements but that didn't prevent michael jordan from participating that didn't prevent vince carter from participating and that's Bro, really is, is it that physically grueling they got to jump three times yeah i, I mean, mean if you miss your dunk it becomes physically grueling like if you miss it multiple times it definitely does but you only get three attempts so your yeah. maximum is nine dunks yeah. right and they do more than that in just just in a game in in like three possessions they've exerted themselves more yeah, and and the thing that's also frustrating about it is it's actually the only event that's actually that and the three point contests are only like the the only events that are like truly competitive. Like I don't yeah. like watching the All Star Game. Kobe said this a few years ago in an interview. It's like it doesn't seem like these guys are really playing to compete against each other in this game. It's like, and I, I, someone else said it was like a glorified layup line. One yeah. of the all stars in the game this year said it's like a glorified. I think it was um, it was Jalen Brown. He said it's yeah. just a glorified layup line. Like it's not. So it's like in the weekend for me, it's like those are the two opportunities to real. I think also from even if you're thinking it from a brand perspective, if all the stars were competing in that, I think it would it would definitely increase ratings because I think you know for me Saturday night is actually the, the more valuable of the two events. I don't. 
I don't really watch the All Star Game. I might click through it, but I used to watch it. I don't watch it anymore. But yeah, and and also from a highlight perspective, what trends on social media, you would think that would be a smart brand play to be involved in it too. It's just it's just bullshit. It's like somebody said, oh, it's not a good idea for your star power if you get in the dunk contest. Yeah, it's just it's gotten to this point where it's like athletes are making excuses not to play sports. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And like that's where that's where you lose me because yeah. Isn't that what you want to do with your life, right? Like, that's the goal. The goal was to get there. So wouldn't you enjoy every opportunity? Like, if I was in the NBA, I'd be in every contest they would let me be in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the dream. And it's another, like, trophy to put in your collection that you you can't get any other way. Like, having that dunk contest, that gives you a lot, like, a lot of cred, you know what I mean? Amongst players to be one of the best dunkers and, like, specifically guys like John Morant like dude come on like just just do it like LeBron I've always wanted we always want to see LeBron everyone talks about the dunks that LeBron does like in practice and you see just the potential and how how he dunks the basketball in game but he doesn't do it you know what I mean like and and even guys like Donovan Mitchell like they do it but they do it before their star power is really where it is how amazing would the dunk contest be if we had Giannis John Morant, you know, Aaron Gordon in it, even like those guys, it brings the level of like even a Mac McClung yeah. winning it against Giannis. I don't know any of the other guys that were in the dunk contest except for Mac McClung. And that's not because of anything NBA related. That's because of highlights like that, that went through social media that everybody knew about Mac. McClung. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, but none of those other guys I had ever even heard of, but if Mac McClung, have won this dunk contest competing against John Morant or Giannis, that would even make it even more amazing, right? Of an yeah. accomplishment for him. And I mean, like with the dunks he put down, I honestly think he could have competed against anybody in the league. Like that was oh. an amazing performance he he put out there. Yeah. I mean, he's, he showed he's like, you'd have to put him against Vince Carter and Michael Jordan and Dominique yeah. Wilkins. Those are the, like, that's what he showed in this dunk contest. You know what I yeah. mean? I think that that whole phenomenon of you're talking about load management and uh, just in general, like this this culture that's developed in the NBA where it's like people want to do the least amount of work possible to get a championship and they like don't really focus on the rest of the sport. And I think it's like so focused on outcomes and so focused on trying to build a legacy that people are just kind of missing the fact that it's a game that people watch for fun and people play for fun. Yeah. And there's also this, this like concern for longevity, right. To yeah. That it's taking in like, you know, the, the, the person that's always going to get the most attention for this is, is LeBron. And one thing I will say about LeBron until he got older, he didn't miss games. You know what I mean? Um, now he does that. The Spurs made it famous, you know, in their championship run as their guys got older. I completely understand that. But when you're seeing like the 24 year old guy sit out for load management, like that's, that's where you're pushing and you're losing me. And I think that's also why you're seeing the declining ratings and declining interest in the NBA as a product, even amongst hardcore fans. We'll tune in when the playoffs start, but it's really, really hard to stay engaged uh, in the NBA all season. And, And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that, like you said, if the players aren't taking the regular season and the coaches aren't taking the regular season seriously, why would the fan? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, 
that that is the strangest thing to me. Like the the whole fact that our culture has shifted, even in the direction of longevity, to your point, why is it the goal to play in the league for 20 years or to be a pro athlete for so long? Like, I don't know. I think we as a society have just decided that what LeBron does is what every athlete should strive for. I think there's yeah. a lot of athletes that played pro till they were 30 and were like, cool, now I've got a lot of money. I'm going to make some real estate investments and build a family. Like, Especially in the NFL, you see like folks who folks who leave when they're ready to leave, and uh, I don't understand why everything that we do in sports culture is toward like squeezing every single ounce of juice out of the orange. Yeah, I mean, you can understand it from a player's perspective, right? Like, it makes sense. Like, this is what they do for a living, and players have a lot of challenges and across all sports when something that they've been doing their whole life ends for most of us, we can keep doing what we do and what we want to do in business or in, in career until we're 65, 70 years old. Sports is very unique in the sense that, you know, time is undefeated and the physical ability to compete actually does wear. And specifically in football, that's why these guys careers end and you see so many train wrecks that got, psychological problems i understand the logic toward longevity and also the financial ramifications there's nothing else that you can make as much money as you can as you can as like a as a professional athlete so i understand that but there's also a point in which it it it, you cross a line with these guys like tom brady should have stayed retired this past season right with all the writing on the wall it michael jordan shouldn't have made that comeback the second time with the Wizards. He should have left winning a championship, winning the game, winning shot. There's no better legacy to leave leave than that, you know? And even even with LeBron, like a, a great time for him to end his career would have been after the Lakers won that champion, championship in the lockout season, right? Like, but, you know, he's still, you can't say much about LeBron because he's still competing. But when that drop-off happens, None of us want to be there for that season that LeBron is no longer LeBron. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And then there's also this kind of responsibility, I think, also that matters. Uh, as long as LeBron is in the league, he's like an albatross that kind of prevents some of these young stars from really getting their opportunity to have their time in the sun. Same with Tom Brady, right? It's like, it's great. And I, and I understand from a personal competitive standpoint why they do it, but it does have collateral damage on the brand of the game when you have one person dominate a league for so long. If for Jordan 20 years. Yeah, if Jordan hadn't stepped aside, then this next league of stars, Jordan Bird, Magic, if those guys hadn't all retired, then this next branch of stars would have been delayed. You know what I mean? And that's we wouldn't have seen Kobe have the same impact and Shaq have the same impact on the league um, if those guys had stayed for 20 plus seasons, you know what I mean? I agree with you. And I also think like, look, like obviously everybody wants to extend their athletic career and, you know, stay healthy. I I'm a fan of that. But at the same time, like with how much conversation goes on about being more than an athlete and being a well-rounded person, it's like, kind of that look in the mirror right of understanding well if i'm more than an athlete like this is only a part of who i am this is only Mm -hmm. like one one angle and so i can serve this as long as i want to serve it but like the average like the average amount of time in a human life before 
psychologically, we have to change our circumstances is seven to 10 years. Every seven to 10 years, we go through like really, really drastic changes that can totally change what we do from a profession standpoint, job standpoint, whatever. And I think from that lens, it's like, I just really don't think the goal for anybody should be to do the same thing for 20 years. Like, I just don't think it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, but that's unfortunately the way most of our lives have occur, right? Because the reality is, is that we get caught in a job, you know, and some of those factors that you say matter also kind of impact why people stay stagnant, right? Like getting married, having kids, they create situations in which now you're responsible for other people and you have to make decisions that not necessarily aren't just about your personal fulfillment anymore. Right. And so it's like this catch 22. I agree from a psychological standpoint, you're a hundred percent right. People are very talk to anyone who's worked the same job for 20 years and you're going to see someone that's not really that excited or enthusiastic about their job. They're doing it because of the responsibilities attached to the job. They have that house that's more than they can afford and they're still paying the mortgage on it, right? They've got three kids or two kids that they're putting through college and they want to make sure that they don't take on a bunch of debt. And so this cycle continues throughout life and at, no matter what it is for human beings where we get caught up having to do certain things because of the consequences they have on other aspects of our life. And happiness isn't really the goal anymore, right? It's yeah. taking care of your responsibilities and making sure and ensuring um, that you do that. And I have a, lot, a ton of respect for folks who do that and, and do that every day. But I think there are a lot of people who have this idea of, I'm going to have it all but they shortchange every aspect of it. Like they have the family, like how much time do you think Elon Musk actually spends with his kids? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. He wants to have them, but is he, is he, is he being responsible if he's not going to spend the time to actually cultivate and nurture them? And he's spending 99% of his time on his business ventures. I think there's a lot of that that happens that leads to a lot of psychological issues for people and not evaluating the decisions that they make and thinking through, how do I make these decisions and still be a balanced, happy individual? Yeah. You know, and I think like the Elon example is a good one. Like the world would be fine if we didn't go to Mars. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, w like it's fine. Like we really don't need neurochips in our brains or our bodies at the pace that we're trying we don't need underground tunnels we don't need all this shit you know what i'm saying like the 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 thing that we see so much in these like careers that are i think media forward is this like it it can create a desperation in you to like try and accomplish as much as possible cuz we glorify people who have accomplished a lot based on our standards and i think like it's just a recipe for, you know, unhappiness. And maybe the segue into, into the next topic is that um, what's the point where it's enough, like financially? What's the point where success is enough? Like you sent me this article earlier, V, um, on what uh, is the average amount to, be able to need to be able to be comfortable when you retire? And uh, this is a Bloomberg Business Post, and they said it, it was between 3 and $5 million according to the 
top answers in a global survey of 500 plus investors conducted by Bloomberg. And uh, if it's three to five million, that's your rookie deal as an NBA player. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the the cutoff to be able to put your money in a bank account and get like if you have five million in a bank account, you give it to a money manager, you're getting six percent on that. That's going to be roughly um, um, was like 200K, right? Per year coming mm-hmm. into you on interest, maybe like, yeah, roughly around 250. And that's uh, cap gains. It's not income taxed. Like, what are we talking about when people want to make a hundred million or a billion dollars? Like, what are we even talking about? You know? I mean, it's the reality for all of us, right? Like, the the thing that the th- one of the, the best lessons I learned about money that I've, I'm so happy that I absorbed was it's not about the amount of money that you make. It's a, I actually made there's a point where I made a lot more money than I make now, but my lifestyle was not as controlled as my lifestyle is now. Right. So if you're an NBA player and you're making three to five million on your rookie deal, but you're in a locker room with a guy that's making 50 million a year and you're seeing that as your kind of model of the lifestyle that you're living and then not to mention everything that happens from a consumer culture standpoint you're supposed to wear the high-end brands like it's a lot for people to process and understand especially if you're not given the the tools to really understand money which in which in most societies is intentional. When we go through school, the one thing that they don't teach across the globe is how to be responsible with money, how to save and how to invest. Like you have to know how to control your spending to like, even to your point about the 200K, 200K is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money for someone who goes and might spend $10,000 at a club one night. You know what I mean? Like you have to know all of these like boundaries. And I think what happens with a lot of athletes is we become, like you said, the media and fans make them almost like not human. They make them like godlike people. And so there's like this maintenance that they have to have um, that that's like, oh, I, I need to pull up in the $300,000 Rolls Royce so people know, you know what I mean? I need to, to wear, you know, $15,000 fit every time I'm in the tunnel. Like all of these things kind of get pushed on them by consumer culture, not to mention families, not to mention all the other elements that come into play when you're the first person in a, in a family to really break through and make money. And the fame point that you're making is another thing that's just, how do you go like, you know, from, and even high school athletes say this guys that were all state basketball players, they can't cut it in college. When those lights turn off and everyone's not kissing your ass, you're, when you're in high school, like if you're the star athlete, everybody in your high school is kissing your ass. If you're a star athlete in college, everyone's kissing your ass. But the moment that that ends, nobody gives a shit about you, you know? And that's really hard for people to absorb and athletes to absorb. I don't know what the healthy solution is but it's just a challenge when you add in the celebrity factor any so when you give somebody celebrity and you take that celebrity away i I don't think any of us are really equipped to handle that shift properly without a lot a lot of deep work yeah I, i i couldn't agree more i definitely think that that's i mean that's a big a big thing in general is like when things are going a certain way and it changes rapidly right yeah and it's tough i mean I think I think there's 
so much culture as well I see online focused on this idea of becoming a billionaire. And I see it in my generation. I see it in Gen Z. And I'm just like, why? Like, why is your goal to go like money is a it's a made up construct made up by a few people. And it's a tool for us to, you know, be able to transact, right? So for somebody to want to become a billionaire, they're essentially saying, I want to spend my entire duration of my life trying to collect as much of this shit as possible so that I have more than everybody else. What like so that is the lamest reason for living I've ever heard in my life, bro. And like when somebody tells me, like, oh, like, you know, I, I want to make a billion. I want to make a billion dollars. I'm just like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, you can, you should tell me like the actual thing you want to do, and maybe the byproduct is that it makes you a billionaire because it was valuable to a lot of people. But if the goal is to make a billion dollars, you're for sure going to go about it in a way that you sacrifice a lot of like the good stuff in life. Yeah, I mean, it's it's challenging, right? Like these are all things that are external stimuli. Inter- affecting people's internal psychology, right? Like that's what mass media does. That's what culture does. Money is glorified, you know, in society. And that's the challenge for people. Like you have to have a, a you, ha- you have to, I'm telling you, it's so, it's so, so hard to even like, even when you're trained a certain way, like there's a, it takes a lot to not get caught in those traps and not think about those things like and attaching money to them. I mean, almost every successful person will tell you that 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 attains billionaire status or millionaire multimillionaire status that the money is a byproduct of their passion for their success. But that doesn't but most of society doesn't get there because they get caught up in the byproduct of what the money does. And that's why, you know, you see the lottery winners blow all their money too. Like that's just a, a known thing is it's like you, once you get caught up in the culture of what money can do for you, it's really easy to get lost. Right. Yeah. It's a lot harder. It's really, 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 really hard in society uh, that has a credit system specifically to live within your means and not beyond your means. Everything in society is caught up in you getting caught in that trap. And, yeah. and you even look at this data from Bloomberg. They are, they asked 500 investors, right? And the truth is, I don't think that you need three to five million. I think you need more than a million to actually yeah. retire comfortably and live a decent lifestyle. But like in the Middle Eastern countries, the number was much higher. It was 20 million. And you realize that that's also a construct of like, the cost of things, but also the lifestyle that certain people, you see these Dubai lifestyles, you see it, the lifestyles that people become accustomed to relative to the society that they live in, right? Yeah. Like if we all, if every house that was constructed was a $150,000 house, then we wouldn't have this, this like FOMO culture of going to the neighborhood where every house is $3 million. Like I, I live the, down the street from all these like, 10 million, $15 million houses. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Right. Like, and you say, oh, it would be nice to live in a house like that. And you find yourself like, even if it's not something you actually desire, something you start desiring. And it's like, it's behavioral psychology is pretty intense. Man. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I, and you know, you make a good point. My question for you is, um, well, two things. One, what's your number? Is there a number for you that if you make it, you would change up your lifestyle? And I kind of feel like you've already made that change in your lifestyle <laughs> to go into retirement mode. But like, what is that? I think like the definition of retirement is something that is different in the the world we're stepping into compared to the more 401k oriented retirement plans, pensions of the previous generations. Like, how do you see that playing out? My philosophy on this is very, very different. I don't even like the word retirement. You know, I don't think that it's healthy for a human being to get into the mindset of quitting. Like retirement is like the idea of I'm not doing anything anymore. That's like what's built into the psychology of retirement. I think the most important thing you can do for yourself is what do I need to make and what do I need to save to be able to live life the way that I want to live it, right? Consistently for as many years as 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 I want without sacrificing that lifestyle. Because I, I don't like the idea of just stopping, you know, you, you, yeah. it's, that's just doesn't doesn't resonate with me. I think it's a it's a failure in the model and in, in how we train people to think. You know, you still like the moment you stop becoming you stop being active is the moment that you accelerate your timeline to death, in my opinion. Like mm-hmm. you have to stay engaged. You have to have things that excite you, whether it's an investor, whether it's whatever you're pouring yourself into. You know, and I know retired, there are some retired people who do pour themselves into like, whether it's charity, their grandkids, all that stuff. But I don't think that, I think you have to do things for yourself throughout your life that keeps you motivated, keeps you anticipated. And I, you know, I I do, I do have like, I feel very comfortable with where I'm at. Right. Um, But I don't feel like I can stop. And that's the thing. Like, I, I, I don't think. If you just have, like, if you're working, you're going to find ways to develop some revenue and keep your lifestyle going. If you stop that buck of not making any money, it also becomes like, it, it can it can consume your mind because as you just see, like, from a psychological standpoint, you just see the money that you have being depleted. That's scary, right? That that also fucks with your head a little bit because <laughs> now you now you feel like you feel anxiety that you didn't feel before. And so that's what I what I mean. You continue saving. You build up a nest egg in terms of like if an emergency happened and I couldn't work for five five years or like I got disabled, could I still live a comfortable lifestyle? Yes. But I don't like the idea of saving toward not doing anything. You know what yeah. I mean? If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally with you, man. I'm totally with you. I think that the three to five million dollar amount that they have in here i think is really solid like i've been advised five million is you know a very premium upper class uh upper middle to upper class lifestyle that you can have in america and in most major markets um off of the uh the investment savings so i agree with you from that perspective like my view on on money is like it's all about understanding how it flows and understanding where to position yourself in in conjunction with your interests, your passions, and how money flows as a result of your involvement in those things. And I think like what I've noticed is that things kind of tend to tend to move toward your passion. So like the more excited you are about things you're doing, the more dollars you see from those types of things. And 
it's not always like directly correlated, but like overall, I would say the trend is is fairly accurate. And from my lens, it's like if you're chasing your passion, it's not work. So what is there to retire from? To your point, right? If you're doing things you love every day, it's not work. And mm-hmm. I think it's more about from a lifestyle perspective and from like a personal growth perspective, detaching from these ideas of having to go to the club, having to wear the newest outfit, having to be at all the nicest parties, having to post all the pictures on social of all your travel to show how, you know, how cool you are. You know, when you detach from these ideas, I think it it changes the way your brain operates in terms of like what you're talking about in terms of like how you spend and how your lifestyle is set up. And when you have that, it's like, to me, like that's where retirement starts is when you stop trading time for money and you start focusing on your passions and pursuing them. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. I mean, the truth is like you, you started the conversation very well with money isn't real, right? It's not a real construct. Like when you get a loan from the bank, they make that money up out of thin air. It's not real. But, and that's why when you understand money, like the biggest thing that I encourage people to do is to not get caught up so much in consumption, but think about the money that you make, putting it into assets. And as long as you have that healthy mindset, whether you're making $50,000 a year or you're making, you know, $300,000 a year, if you're, if you're spending your money to consume on, on things, it doesn't matter how much money you make. But if you're investing in assets, you're starting to build toward a situation in which you don't have to worry about money anymore. And that's the yeah. greatest liberty that you can have. Um, and the other thing that I was going to tell you is that that is the hardest part, right? Like part of what's helped me get to where I've gotten it is actually training myself, like even relative to other people that are at, at, in your in your space, right? Or other what other people tell you. It's like, you're going to get called cheap. You're going to get called you know, uh, frugal, you're going to get like, there's almost like this, like when you, when you, when you actually, when people know that you're okay, but you're, you're not living the same lifestyle as everyone else. There's a lot of psychological pressure that comes with that as well, because everybody else who's in kind of your space is living a certain lifestyle, right? Like, and that, that happens like when you finish graduate school and people get their first hundred, hundred K job, I dealt with this. Everyone's going and buying you know, a $60,000 car, putting a down payment on a $600,000 house, but you're only making $100,000 a year. You know what I mean? It's like you haven't made it yet. Whereas there's very few people who think along the lines of, I'm still going to, you know, I I, I don't have a lot going on. I, I can still stay at my parents' house. I can save this money because I don't mind. My parents are pretty cool. They, they let me do what I want. I'm going to stay here for a few years save up that money so that when I do buy that house, I'm not putting the minimum down. Like yeah. that type of thinking is really, really hard and not encouraged. Now I understand like I failed at it multiple times. Like I failed sometimes too. Like, why am I not living in the same house that everybody else of my status is supposed to live at? Like that's not, once you get caught up in those things, you, you can really, you can end up broke and you can end up psychologically lost. Yeah. A hundred percent, bro. It's like, it's almost like, the best thing to do is to have the cheapest house in the richest neighborhood. Yeah. It's like, I think that's the mentality is like, understand what value is, understand where, like, like you were saying earlier, like investing in assets, like 
Also, investing in a gym membership, investing in you know skincare, investing in you know good haircuts, investing in like clothes that make you feel good about yourself. Like those are all assets to me because they're they're emotional assets. They're things that improve your own happiness on a day to day basis. And it's like when you make the purchase because you're trying to fit in, you've lost you've lost the thread. But when you make it for yourself because it's something that you know makes you happier. Um, it increases your earning potential. It increases the amount of of money that you attract, and you know that's that's to me like the biggest thing out of all of this is like if you approach it with this lens of this mathematical lens of like going after a number. There's a lot of people that do that, but that that pursuit um, is not for everybody to do it in such a structured way where you're saving an exact amount every month for you know 30 years till you get to where you're trying to get to. Um, for a lot of folks. I think it's more about what you're talking about, figuring out a lifestyle that makes them happy that um, is not egregious for the sake of being egregious. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, you know, the thing that's, that's challenging is really evaluating what it is that you need and what you want, right? Like I think the reason that so many people specifically in our country fail at the idea of saving, you know, and why most people, even people who make high incomes, like, there are, I think that the stats always come out. It's like less than 30% of people could come up with, you know, a, a couple thousand dollars in cash if they needed it in an emergency. And that's across people who are making very comfortable livings. It's, it's because of that is because almost all their financial decision making is based on making other people happy, make, proving to other people that they have something. And it's not, they don't look in the lens and say, is this really about my personal happiness? I know a guy who makes a ton of money and doesn't spend a lot of money, but he really likes cars. So he has a Ferrari, you know what I mean? But that's like his, his one, his one like financial thing that he, he knows is a bad financial decision. It's the worst depreciating asset that you can own, you know, but that's what he cares about and he enjoys it. And so it's not, like you said, it's an asset for him. It's not an expense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly the way, way to approach it. I, we got one more thing and um, we'll be wrapping up uh, last news bit. Uh, the Tiger Woods uh, tampon incident here uh, handed a tampon to, uh, was it Justin Thomas? Uh, when they were golfing this last weekend, and it got caught on camera, and uh, homeboy had to make a public apology after the round. And um, this got heat because folks were unhappy that uh, he was using a tampon as part of a joke. It came across sexist, and the internet kind of felt a way about it. Um, I think this was an interesting scenario because to me, it just showed how having cameras everywhere is like it it just needs it it needs to increase our empathy like we shouldn't just cuz we can capture everything doesn't mean all of a sudden everyone has to be perfect right but just cuz we can capture everything we should use that as an opportunity to understand where people are at yeah we're looking for the word and this is what you know tabloid culture and and paparazzi culture is built on it's a multi-billion dollar industry because we're looking for public figures we have this like weird masochist relationship with celebrities right like we want to to like love them 
But then there's just as many people who want to see them fall and get that opportunity to bring them down to their level. You know what I mean? And and it's 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 sad for a lot of reasons because I think that the reality is that no human being is perfect. We've made we've all made decisions like like this amongst our friends, just something that we just thought we were joking around with. They didn't mean any harm toward women or to toward being sexist or anything. It's just like a practical joke that jocks make, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And it's something that happens. It's called locker room, right? It's the yeah. locker room situation. And there's always like a degree of comfort that and, and any human being that's honest, there's a degree of comfort you have with the people that you're really close to, that your friends, the conversations you have in your friends' houses, amongst your family that you wouldn't have. Now that doesn't mean you, it, it condones those things. Like if you are consistently having like racist, racist <laughs> conversations amongst your friends or sexist conversations amongst your friends, then that's a problem, right? Those are the people that you have to be weary of, but like something as innocuous as, as two guys giving, giving each other a tampon, like they're not, they're not trying to like take down women. They're not trying to say women aren't important. They're not trying to like demean and diminish the role of women in society. That is not the intent of what they're doing. I know I they're playing, they're playing golf. Yeah. That's, that's all they're doing. Yeah. And then for him to have to come out and make a public apology about this too, it's just like, we've just gotten to a point that's just sad because you know what this is doing too, is it's not fixing. If the goal of like shaming people is to fix the problem, it's not, it's making it worse. More people are double the people who actually are in those camps that are actually sexist, who actually, think women are beneath men this this like calling out things like this actually encourages and highlights the cause more and it diminishes the value of the real acts that are happening against that continue to happen against women and race in, in in all these categories it diminishes it when we highlight these like innocuous like little things yeah yeah i agree i agree completely i think i think we're at this point where also like if somebody gets canceled at this point, it's just like, like, what are we even doing, man? Like, none of it makes sense. Like, it's so reactive. It's so extreme of a reaction. And at the end of the day, like, none of these crimes are worth any punishment. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, what, yeah. What's the punish? What's the crime? And what's the pun? Dude handed a tampon to someone. They had an inside joke about it. Okay. Well, are you mad you're not inside of it, or are you mad that the way it looked to you was? offensive to you and then to me it's like that's that's your problem if you got offended yeah let people you know we we've gone through this and we've survived a lot of this i think canceling makes it worse it's like the prison system right like it's not effective you know putting people in jail for crimes doesn't isn't reducing isn't reducing the amount of crime that happens canceling people doesn't reduce the amount of stupid shit that people think and say it doesn't work and I think that's kind of like the same inspiration behind canceling. It's like putting people, wanting to put people in prison that haven't committed a crime. You know what I mean? Like their crime is that they've said something that's derogatory. And the thing is you can tune out. You don't have to engage. You don't have to support that person. You don't have to engage with them. You don't have to give them a platform. But the moment that you highlight them and you try to cancel them, you're, you're bringing attention uh, to a situation that makes it worse in my opinion. Yeah, 100% agreed. 
Well, that kind of brings us to the end of this uh, this red eye segment. Um, some some great kind of action this past week in the in the headlines here. I wonder what we'll get this coming week, V. Uh, but on that note, uh, it's always something to talk about. Always, always, all every week reliably there's some sort of headline that's meant to meant to infuriate this week they had a little less so they went with the uh, tampon <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh on that note uh, always remember to stay moving and be you you as fly Where the